welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Good soil is necessary for plants to have good root systems. It's from the roots that plants get water and minerals, as well as their structural support. And as Jesus pointed out in this parable, good roots and good soil are needed to produce fruit. Lead teacher Jeff Norris continues the series Rooted, a lifestyle of radical dependence with this sermon entitled Rooted in Prayer. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Let me give you an update on a little bit of an overview of where we're headed for the next seven weeks starting this week. We are launching into a series that I kind of launched into two weeks ago uh, as I did a sermon on radical dependence. But uh, this, is, this is the start of seven weeks of looking at what we're calling Rooted is the name of the series, subtitle, A Lifestyle of Radical Dependence. And what this is all about is this. For 42 years, God has graciously blessed this church through the great leadership of Randy uh, to, to have incredible kingdom impact, to be a healthy church, to be a church that is so centered on God's word and on discipleship and evangelism. And in many, many ways, this church has flourished and so what we're asking God for is we're trying to recenter on what are the things that we need to be rooted in going forward so that kingdom flourishing would happen all the more in and through Perimeter Church. Let me go ahead and give a disclaimer from the top. The seven things that I'm going to be walking through, the roots, if you will, that we need to water and make sure are healthy so that the flourishing of the tree of the church, so to speak, would be bright and beautiful and vibrant um, this is not an exhaustive list, so please hear that. I'm not going to be able to touch on everything. There's, there's 20 to 30, if not more, roots. Uh, but I didn't think you would want to have a 20 to 30-week sermon series. Um, and so I, I picked seven to say these are seven that I feel like in the life and in time of our church we need to really zoom in on and focus as roots that we need to make sure are deep and watered well. And so with that, I want you to think of the word of God. One of the seven weeks is not gonna be exclusively focused on God's word, but don't think that that's because in some way, in some fashion, we are lessening our, our, uh, our focus on the word of God. Uh, I want you to think of the word of God as a canopy, if you will, a greenhouse canopy over these seven roots that the reason that they grow the way that they do is because we are a church centered on God's word, believing that it is holy and anointed and inerrant and set apart. Um, So with that, there's also something else coming. Coinciding with this sermon series, this rooted sermon series, Coinciding with that is also a launch into a new generosity initiative that we're giving some new language to. For many years now, we've used the language of all in as a part of our giving efforts to say that we want to be all in to go all out for kingdom impact. And with that, uh, God has blessed tremendously this church from a financial standpoint to be able to do what he has called us to do in all the various ministries, the 200 plus ministries that operate out of this church. Uh, God has blessed tremendously. We want to continue to have a heartbeat of generosity. We're going to use some new language. The name of this initiative is not going to be all in, but for these next two years, we're going to be calling it Rooted to Flourish. The Rooted to to Flourish initiative to where we're inviting you to be a part of this church, giving your tithes and your offerings to fuel everything that happens here for his glory. 
And so I'll be doing four large group gatherings here in this room. I'll be doing four vision nights where uh, I'll be sharing, Randy will be with me, and uh, I'll be sharing about where I sense the Lord is leading us for these next couple of years. And I'm, I'm inviting you to come to at least one of those. You can come to more than one. You'll hear, you'll hear the same thing over and over again, but come to at least one. If you call Perimeter Church home, would you come to at least one of these gatherings? The first one's October 20th, then October 24th, then October 27th, then November 3rd. Don't worry about those dates. You don't have to write them down. Next week, there'll be an insert with all the information that you need, but just go ahead and have it on your radar that this is where we are right now this fall and where we're gonna be focusing and uh, excited about where God is leading us. All right, let me pray for us. And then we'll jump into the first root, if you will, which is, which is prayer. So let me pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather here. Would you speak to us, Lord, during this time? Would you cause your word to come, alive, come to life in us? And would you shape us? Holy Spirit, would you come do what only you can do? Make us more like Jesus. Awaken us to your beauty and to our need for you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So it goes without saying that this is a critical, pivotal time in the life of our church. As I've already mentioned, Act One has, has been incredible. Tremendous what the Lord has done in these first 42 years. As you transition, as we transition in, uh, into this new season, uh, lots of questions loom large. What do we do now? What's gonna happen now? Are we gonna, be, are we gonna continue to be a church that is healthy, that grows? Are we gonna be a church that reaches the next generation? Are we gonna be, gonna be a church that, that meets our budget? Are, are we going to be a church that just act one was great, but act two, we begin to just slowly fall off into obscurity? You know, there's all kinds of fears. Believe me, I have them way more than you do. I'm not God. I think that goes without saying as well. And in many ways, I, I don't know. I mean, of course, there's things that we're going to be centered on. We're going to keep doing what we're doing. We're still going to be centered on the word. We're still going to be about evangelism and discipleship. Life on life, missional discipleship, we are gonna to continue to be who we have been in our DNA. And we're gonna trust God, but I don't know what it's gonna look like 40 years from now. I have a vision for it. We pray and trust that God will do it, but he has plans and he has purposes and we walk along according to his leadership. And so there's a lot of things that I don't know, but here's something that I do know. We will be a church who prays. We will be a church who seeks to posture ourselves in radical dependence upon the Lord to do what only he can do. To be a church that may not have all the answers, so to speak, but who knows intimately our God. A church who um, long before we settle into anything like playing church, pressing the right buttons, knowing what to say, what not to say, knowing what strategies to use and what plans to do. And that's a part of church leadership for sure. But long before we do any programmatic, administrative anything, we are a people who are on our knees begging God to show up. Because as I have walked with the Lord, I am convinced that he is not at all interested in a gathering of people 
that's not centered on prayer. One of my responsibilities as senior pastor, when you look biblically, what are the responsibilities of a pastor? Uh, it's, it's a lot. Particularly in modern culture, there's all kinds of things that a senior pastor of a church is, is responsible for. Randy mentioned last week that, you know, we often think that the senior pastor, they just preach a lot. And, um, you know, maybe that's four, fifth, fourth or fifth on the list. Maybe it's not. There are other things that are even higher than that, believe it or not. You know, but I'll tell you this. Biblically, everything falls into three categories of what is my responsibility. The first one is to shepherd the flock. To be a shepherd as I follow the good shepherd. To preach the word. And then the third one is to pray. To teach God's people to pray. I'll be honest with you, those first two come somewhat naturally to me. I'm not going to say they're easy by any stretch, but they, in the way that I'm wired and in my personality and the gifting that God has given me, um, I love to preach. I love to interact with people. I'm an extrovert. I love to engage and shepherd God's people to Jesus to see his beauty and his worth. But that third one, that one's hard. Prayer is tough, prayer is challenging. It's not always easy for me by any means. And, and I would assume, because I've had so many conversations with you, and that for many of you, if not most of us, you, you resonate with that. Prayer can be difficult. We, we can tend to do life, even the Christian life, without much prayer. Eugene Peterson says this. He says, the primary task of the pastor is to teach his people to pray. John Owen kicks it up a notch. John Owen was great Puritan. In the 1600s, he says this, a minister may fill his pews, his communion role in the mouths of the public, but what that minister is on his knees in secret before God Almighty, that he is and no more. So with that, I'm gonna stop preaching and go pray. <laughs> it's a high calling. And one that I wanna try to do the best that I can do to lead us in that way, both in my own life and to lead out of my strengths and my weaknesses. And just as you are called to lead in the various capacities of your life, out of your strengths and out of your weaknesses, we will be in this together to be rooted in prayer, to be a house of prayer. Whether you feel like you're good at praying or not good at praying, it doesn't matter. Wherever you are on the spiritual journey, it doesn't matter. Even if you don't know if you're in this journey yet, you don't know that you believe this whole Jesus stuff, you say, okay, just, it's okay. Cry out to God and say, God, if you're real, would you show up in my life? Wherever you are on the spiritual journey, we're inviting you in to be a people who pray. I wanna do a few things with you this morning. I wanna first give you a biblical overview to where we can see biblically how critical prayer is to the life of the church. I want to briefly mention something about a historical, just kind of how God has worked throughout history in the life of his church through prayer. I want to look at the gospel. How does the gospel compel us to pray? And then I want to give us a call to action. First, from a biblical overview standpoint, I typically I, what I most prefer to do is to take a passage of scripture and preach through it. Um, 
I wanted to do that this, this Sunday. But as I sat more in it, I thought, you know, I, I, maybe this time it would be better to just give a flyover. To hit little highlights here and there of how critical, how significant, how even practical God's word is as it speaks to prayer and how practical prayer is. Then I began to think, well, man, it's all throughout Scripture. When you look Old Testament, it's throughout all these examples of prayer. People, uh, God calling his people to pray. Then throughout the New Testament, and as I thought through that, I thought, man, we'll be here forever if I try to hit all of that. And so where I'm settling this morning is this. I just want us to take a quick little survey of the early church and how important prayer is and was for the early church and for us. So when you go to the book of Acts, which is our history book of the early church, short for Acts of the Apostles or Acts of the Early Church, we begin to see a narrative of how crucial prayer is. In Acts chapter one, right off the bat, here's what's happening. Uh, Jesus has been crucified and he's resurrected. He's appeared for 40 days in his resurrected body to over 500 people. And then, he's, uh, then he ascended into heaven. Right before he ascended, he gave his final commissions. One that you may be aware of that you've heard before is the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. Lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. Those are the last recorded words of Jesus from the, from the book of Matthew. Then you get over into Acts, and in Acts 1.8, Luke records for us the last words of Jesus being similar, same thrust of go into the world and make disciples. And he says, start in Jerusalem, right here where you are, then move out to Judea, then move out to Samaria, and then eventually to the ends of the earth. If you, you want a good missionary plan, start with Acts 1.8. But God then, Jesus then ascends into heaven. And the disciples are remembering that now, now he said something about a helper coming. Someone who would come and give us power to do uh, what we're supposed to do, what God has called us to do, what he's commissioned us to do. And so where we are in Acts chapter 1 verse 14, which I'm about to read, is we're in between the ascension of Christ and the pouring out of the Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And so they're waiting They've just come back from the Mount of Olives where Jesus ascended and they're, they're wondering, well, what, what should we do now? And so they're waiting as they wait on the Spirit. And look what they're doing. Verse 14, it says this. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and, the, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the brothers. What were they doing while they waited? They were praying. They were devoted to prayer. You fast forward a little bit, Acts chapter two, by the end of Acts chapter two, the spirit has been poured out. Pentecost has come. Peter has preached the gospel. Thousands have believed. And we begin to get a little bit of an insight into what does the, uh, what does, what do the rhythms of the church look like in those early days? What are they about? What are they doing? And look at what it tells us in chapter two, verse 42. It says, they, this is the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. They were devoted to God's word, to communion, the breaking of bread, to fellowship with one another, Christian community, and praying together. 
the great church plan, those four things. And prayer is at the center of it. Move ahead to Acts chapter four. Sometime this week, read chapter four of Acts on your own. It's one of my favorite chapters. I love it because what we see in Acts chapter four is we see God empowering a weak and wayward people. A people who were hiding in the upper room and didn't know what to do. And they were praying, which is the right thing to do, but, didn't, but knew they didn't have the power to do anything that God had called them to do unless he shows up and he does what only he can do through them. Now they are standing before, Peter and these disciples are standing before the chief priests and the elders, the Jewish chief priests and elders. And these elders and chief priests are threatening the disciples saying, you better not talk about Jesus anymore. And instead of responding with fear and going, oh no, what do we do? What we read in chapter four is that Peter and these guys, they say, yeah, uh, not gonna happen. We can't do that. We're gonna keep talking about Jesus. We can't help it. And so, nanny, nanny, boo, boo, we're out of here. We're not, we're not doing this. And because the chief priests and elders couldn't deny, they could not deny all that God had been doing through these men, they said, if we, if we do anything to them, then, the, then the, the multitudes will come after us. And so they let them go. And when they let them go, look what happens. Chapter four, verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported that the chief priests and the elders, what they had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They didn't hear the word of, the, hey, we've been threatened to not do this anymore, to not talk about Jesus anymore, and, and move into fear. They heard the word, and they moved into prayer. And when they prayed, God shook the place that they were in and he poured out the fullness of the spirit even more to where they wouldn't cower, but they would have boldness. Keep going in Acts and the church has just grown so much by Acts chapter six that the apostles could no longer handle all the, pro the program, if you will, of the church, the administration that needed to happen. They, they needed to be focused on something in particular. And so they decided to raise up deacons so that, look what chapter six, verse four says, when the disciples decided to raise up deacons, it says, but, when, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. That's the, the role of a, of a church leader is to pray, to be devoted to the word so that you may be people who pray and are, and are devoted to the word. There's a lot more to be seen in the book of Acts. I'll hit one more real quickly. When Paul uh, was sent out with Barnabas on his first missionary journey, this is what it looked like, Acts chapter 13, verses two and three. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. We're gonna send two brothers into the mission field. What do we need to make sure that we do before we send them? Do we just say, hey, um, we will pray for you, good luck? No, we, we're going to actually have a time here to where we pray and we fast. Prayer and fasting go hand in hand over you that you may be blessed on this endeavor. Fasting, by the way, is not something that we do to manipulate God, to coerce him into giving what we want necessarily. It's simply a time to say, uh, I'm not gonna eat, God, because I want you to be my food. I wanna see and hear your will 
And I don't want to be distracted anyway. And anytime I'm hungry, I'm going to hunger for you all the more. It's not super spirituality necessarily. It's just being radically dependent on the Lord. Saying, oh God, would you do what only you can do? As you get through the book of Acts, prayer is a continued focus. And then you get into the epistles and you see from, from the apostle Paul so many instructions on prayer. Romans 12 Verse 12, he says this, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Again, in Ephesians chapter six, he says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication, praying for the saints. Philippians four, six and seven One of the first verses I memorized long ago, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And listen to this promise. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's an implication here. There's an incredible, wonderful promise of peace that coincides with prayer. There's also an implication here that the more we pray, the less anxious we are. I want to be careful with that. I want to proclaim that promise. I also know as one, as I've mentioned numerous times, who has dealt with some anxiety and depression, I know that there's a medical component to that. And people used to tell me, hey man, just pray harder and I'd want to hit them. It's like, I don't know how to pray harder. I'm still experiencing all this. And so I want to I be sensitive to that. But I do also want to say, hey, I want to push on this and say, uh, there's a promise here. We pray and God deals with our anxiety and he promises peace. Paul says in Colossians 4.2, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And then he gets, says again, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, he says this, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You wanna know what God's will is for you? His revealed will in the word of God is to be a people who pray without ceasing. What does that mean? (laughs) How do you pray without ceasing? I mean, did you hear that over and over again from Paul? Be constant in prayer, praying at all times, in everything pray, continue steadfastly in prayer. And if that wasn't enough, uh, he he just throws the icing on the cake and and says, pray without ceasing. And you go, yeah, um, I'm gonna fail that test. I don't know, how do you do that? Does it mean that we are always consciously praying? Well, let me just say, no, it doesn't mean that. How could it? If, if, it were, if it were to just always be in this state of prayer, then there are all kinds of other imperatives from the scriptures that we wouldn't be able to live out. Wouldn't be able to share our faith. Hey, I know you need to hear about Jesus, but let me just pray. Right? Prayer is a big part of evangelism, but you got to share the gospel. We wouldn't be able to, uh, to, to be a good husband or a good father, or good mother or our wife, like, because if all we're doing is praying, how do we ever have conversations with them? 
Couldn't be a bit in your business, in your job. You know, how do you stay on a phone call with a client if, you, if all you're doing is praying? So what does it mean? It means this. It means that the posture of our hearts is one of continual prayer and dependence upon the God. And sometimes that is absolutely, in significant ways, conscious prayer, purposeful prayer. But in other ways, it's, of course, uh, as we're going throughout our day, doing what God has called us to do in the positions and things that he's called us to be, we're in an attitude of dependence flowing from a heart of prayer. And it is praying. It certainly is praying throughout the day. I think one of the things that I need to realize more and more in my own life is that a lot of times it's, it can be better to be in prayer with small prayers throughout the day than to think that I have to have this 5 a.m. theology session with God every morning. And have this incredible season, long season of prayer every single morning. If you can do that, yes, that's awesome. But for most of us, that's not reality. And so if I can pray for 15 minutes in the morning and then throughout the day, here, there, as I'm, as I'm seeking to be a good husband, a father, a good pastor, whatever it is, I'm praying little, little snippets of prayer. Oh God, would you show up here? Oh God, would you be with me as I seek to parent my kid here? Would you help me not yell at them right now? Whatever, whatever that prayer looks at, like for you. but that we are to be a people who pray. Historically, when you look at the life of the church, there's so much to be said about the role that God has played in the life of the church through prayer. Over and over and over and over again in church history, he has birthed movements of renewal of redemption, of even what we might so boldly call revival, awakening, and he does it through prayer. I, I had, I've got a lot of stuff here in my notes and I did this in the nine o'clock and um, uh, it made me go over. So I'm not gonna do it now. So if you really wanna hear it, then go back and listen to the nine o'clock. <laughs> the first great awakening in Europe, the first great awakening here in America, the second great awakening, the modern mission movement, the businessmen revival, the Hebrides revival, the Korean revival, uh, on and on and on and on. You will be hard pressed to find a movement of God anywhere, anytime in the history of the world that wasn't predicated by people who are desperate for God to move in prayer. What about Jesus himself? We think about the gospel and how does the gospel call us to pray? You ever wrestled with this idea that Jesus prayed and why? Why, why did Jesus pray? I mean, he's, he's God incarnate. He's, he's the son of God. If there's ever been anyone, he's sinless. If, there, if, there, if there's ever been anyone that didn't need to pray, it was Jesus, right? I mean, he knows. He's in tune with the father. Why does he need to pray? You have this really cool, amazing thing that Jesus says in John chapter five, where he talks about how he and the father are one and he can't do anything apart from the father. And then he says this, I will not do anything unless it is the will of the father. 
And so all throughout the Gospels, because that's the heartbeat of Jesus, all throughout the Gospels, you see Jesus praying, seeking the will of the Father. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to move unless it's your will, oh God. You see him wrestling in the Garden of Gethsemane where he's wrestling with his own will and his humanity, saying, I really don't want to take this cup. He says, but if it's your will, oh God, your will be done, not mine. He's praying. And there's this whole mystery in this of like, we don't fully understand. and We can't wrap our minds around how Jesus was fully God and fully man, 100% man, 100% God. And in his humanity, there was still dependence on the God, on the Father, even though he is God. And, and how does that work? But he prayed, Jesus prayed. If Jesus prayed, seeking the will of the Father, how much more should I? How much more should my heart be, be that of Jesus to say, I'm not going to move, oh God. I'm not going to do anything unless I know it's your will. And the only way I'm going to know it's your will, according to 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 and 18, is to pray because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for me to be a person, a man of prayer, giving thanks in all circumstances. But even more than that, and here's the good news, because at this point we go, wow, this is a high calling. How could I do this? Jesus sacrificed, okay? You gotta remember the cross. We always come back to the cross because no matter how well we try to be a person of prayer, we will fall short. We will never pray perfectly the way Jesus did. We will never live our lives perfectly, far from it, the way that Jesus did. And so in every way, where we wind up is not in a place of righteousness or self-righteousness to say, look at how good I'm praying or look at how good I'm doing this or that. We end up at the foot of the cross that tells us this. We never get it right, but Jesus did. And he took his perfection to the cross and he died a gruesome death on the cross so that he would take for us the wrath of sin that we deserve. He sacrificed for us. And then not only that, but remember the gospel, the beauty of the gospel is not just that he did that, but that he rose from the dead, defeating the penalty of sin itself, itself, death itself, to where the very crux of what we believe centers on that, that the only way that we too can overcome death and live eternally with him uh, and experience newness of life in this life now and in the life to come is through faith in him because he resurrected. Therefore, through his power within us, we too will resurrect, be resurrected. But a lot of times we leave off the last beautiful piece of the gospel. We talk about how Jesus was perfect in our place. We talk about how Jesus was crucified in our place. We talk about how Jesus is our resurrection in our place but we often forget the ascension. Jesus ascended in our place. And why is that so important? It's because first he's not dead, he's alive. But what is he doing? He ascended to the Father. What's he doing there? He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, which is a position of power that all may be uh, under him and that all will exalt him and bow the knee one day. But you know what else it is? Hebrews tells us that what he is doing for us right now is he's praying for us. He is interceding for his people. Jesus intercedes. 
I get chill bumps when I think about that. Jesus is praying for me. Do you get that? Like this, the son of God, the resurrected son of God is right now. If you're a follower of Jesus, he is praying for you and me. And so there's a part of me that goes, well, I want to get in on that. What is he praying? What's he saying over me? What is it that he has planned for me? There's a huge part of prayer. The primary purpose of prayer, don't miss this, is not for us to go before God and try to get him on our side to get what we want to manipulate and coerce him to say, okay, if I pray enough, you'll eventually give me what I want. What prayer is, is prayer is getting into the presence of God, into the presence of Jesus and the fullness of the spirit and saying, oh God, would you align me to what you want? What are you speaking over me? What are you praying over me? What is it that you have purposed for me? And even if it's not what I thought it would be or could be or should be, because my heart is aligned with yours, I say yes and amen. And we are people who pray to align ourselves just like Jesus with the will of the Father. Because we have a Savior who prays for us even now. Very quickly, let me tell you why prayer is so practical. Because let, let me just say, a lot of times we don't feel like prayer is practical, right? Here's why it's so practical. First, Prayer helps us to see God rightly. The more we pray, the more we see who God is in his character. He becomes more and more full in our lives. Secondly, the more we pray, the more we see ourselves rightly. He begins to open the vault, if you will, as we pray with him to see all the ways in which we are sinful, we fall short, and it's not so that we can wallow in our sin, it's so that we will then run to him because we see clearly who he is, as a forgiving, gracious, compassionate, loving, merciful, good God. And we say, this is who I am as I sit in prayer with you, with you but this is who you are. And so we run in radical dependence upon him. And a third thing that happens, why it's so practical, is because the more we pray, the more we see others and our circumstances rightly. The more we pray, the more God begins to give us the eyes of Jesus to see others the way that he sees them. The more we pray, the more we get the eyes of Jesus to see our circumstances the way that he sees them. And to give him praise and thanks in all seasons of life. So here's the call to action. What do we do with all this? You heard a little bit about it on the video earlier, the We Get a Glance video. But in your bulletins, you have an insert. Looks like this. On one side, it says, Father, do what only you can. On the other side, the one that I want to point out to you, it says, strengthen your posture of radical dependence. I want to highlight for you four things that, that I'm inviting you into to be a part of praying as a church. We want to launch a movement of prayer and, and the way we want to launch that is we want to begin with 40 days of 24-7 prayer, of continuous prayer. And I want you to make sure you're hearing me clearly on that. We're not saying we're only going to pray for 40 days and then it's okay, it's time to stop praying. We're asking God to launch a movement of prayer here that never ends. And so the way the launching begins is 40 days of continual prayer. 
24-7 prayer. Uh, you can sign up for one or more of the 961-hour prayer slots. Uh, you can pray in Perimeter's prayer room or anywhere you prefer. We're talking about 24-hour prayer, right? So uh, some of you may be like a, uh, a lady I spoke with recently who said, God, God just years ago started waking me up every night at 3 a.m., and for the longest time, I just kept trying to go back to sleep and I was frustrated. And then I realized he's waking me up to, to pray. And so my prayer time every day is three to 4 a.m. I go, wow, bless you. That, <laughs> that is not me. But this is gonna require sacrifice for some of us to say, okay, I'll, I'll wake up at 2 a.m. and pray. Sign up for those slots. When you take a slot, it doesn't take it for someone else. There's, these are any, as many people as you want, as we want, can sign up for the same slide. It's cool how God works that way. He hears lots of prayers at once. So pray, sign up. Go to perimeter.org slash pray or go to the Perimeter app and sign up there. Uh, the, there's a daily devotional that Garrett and some of our other staff have written to, uh, to bless us. That is every day, just a devotional that you can do with your family to center our hearts in prayer. That's on the app as well. If you're not catching on, we're starting to push a lot of things to the app. If you don't have the Perimeter app, please download that because there's a lot of good stuff there. Uh, Tuesday night, church-wide prayer. Starting this Tuesday, 6.30 to 7.30. Uh, for six weeks, six Tuesdays consecutively, we're just gonna gather in the ministry center, which is the room below the chapel, and we're gonna pray. I want you to bring your kids, bring your family. There will be childcare uh, available, uh, but you don't have to use it. In fact, I, I would love to see our families praying together. Don't worry about if little Johnny is crying. Uh, prayer, uh, uh, cries are, are music to God's ear in prayer. And so don't worry about that. But if you feel like, hey, I, we're, there's no way we're going to be able to pray if my kids are there. We do have child care, so register for that. But come and pray with us on Tuesdays, 630 to 730. And then there's a curriculum for your group. There's an there's a insert, if you will, a supplement that myself and some others have written to coincide with what's being taught here on Saturday nights and Sunday mornings during our services. So uh, all of our, every age group, starting from the youngest of our children all the way up through our youth and two adults, all of us are studying the same thing. We're all focusing on radical dependence. And so this is a, hopefully a treat for you to be able to say to your kids or to your grandkids, hey, I, I know what we're learning about in the service. What are you learning about? I think it's all about this radical dependence thing. What do you think? And so hopefully there's stirred uh, conversation with you and your family. Uh, as, uh, along these lines of radical dependence. If you're not in a journey group, um, by the way, if you are in a journey group, you should have that insert. You can get it online. Go to perimeter.org uh, slash pray, and it's available there. But then your, your group leader should already have that and be resourcing you with that as well. Would you pray with me? Not just now, but in the days to come, in the years to come that this would be a house of prayer. Here's what I'm praying over you, our congregation, each day. Ephesians 3, 14 through 19 says this, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being 
so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. God, would you do that? Would you do a work in and among us and through us to where we would be a people rooted and grounded in your love, comprehending with all the saints the depth and the breadth to which you love us with? And Father, would you fill us with all the fullness of God? Whatever that even looks like, that seems like a crazy, profound thing to pray for, that, that you would fill us with the fullness of God. But we long for it, God. We want that. Would you do it? Would you pour out your spirit on us and in this place? And would you do it for your glory? We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.